Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial experts John and Michael Parise from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Parise of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, we're going to be talking about philanthropic planning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Morning, Eric. Hey, Eric. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and this is by far one of my favorite subjects. I love it. Oh, we're excited. Yeah. I love it. Where are we starting today? Well, I I think with with philanthropy in general, when we look at a family generationally, philanthropy for, for our families is really... Well, as you said, it's it's one of the more fun things that we do, I think. Mm-hmm. It's very rewarding. But for our families, when they look generationally, philanthropic planning becomes a really, really key part of their generational wealth strategy for a lot of different reasons that we'll get into. Uh, but that's really the general purpose today. I don't think we're going to get into too much of a deep dive on really a lot of the technical elements, although we'll see we'll see what happens. But I think it's more going to be a primer today. And I think that um, as we go forward with this podcast, we'll probably get into more detail, bring in some specialists on some specific mm-hmm. uh, philanthropic strategies. But I think today we're going to talk pretty, pretty high level, pretty generally. Just another piece of the pie yeah. that we deal with, which, uh, <clears throat> which is always, as Michael said, it's always a topic with our families, how they get there. The, the approach they take, it's all through our discussions, whether it's a foundation or whether it's a charitable lead trust or whatever it might be. The design of the case gives us that direction to where we can get to a, um, a design that makes sense, again, the Michael's point generationally, which is really their focus. And we've talked before about your process working with a family from, from the very beginning. And I know this is always part of the conversation, just as part of that process. But when you're when you're discussing with them or when you're asking them about it, what are you finding that their sense is? Is is it do they come from a standpoint of, yeah, I'd like to give it to charity, but you know, I also want to make sure my family's taken care of and they just don't realize how powerful philanthropic planning can be, or or are they pretty aware of that already coming to you? Well, we start with a discussion when you think of planning in general, mm-hmm. our focus is to make sure mom and dad are okay. And that means they could live to age 100 and they have all the money they need. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the, the children. If they're okay to age 100, then we have the next group, which is the community. And that's where the discussion of the charities come in or, or the philanthropic discussion is have this excess capital that they could, they could deliver someplace else versus giving it to the government. Because if you understand the estate tax code, which I, most of our listeners probably do, yet over that unified credit amount, every dollar that you pass to your children is taxed at currently at 40 cents on the dollar. Ouch. So they rather give it to charity than give it to the boys and Washington, boys and ladies in Washington. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the conversation we have. So it's a it's a discussion of I want to take care of the community, but it's also motivated in in some circumstances as a tax play as well. So that's that's where we kind of begin the conversation. And most most clients don't understand the tax side of it as much as they understand, I want to give something away to somebody. I want to take care of this group. But when you combine the two components, it gets really attractive to them. Yeah, I think just to add to the, the tax discussion, that is always a component that our families are interested in or are motivated by when, you, when they look at philanthropic planning. 
And when you look at what a tax is, whether that be, as my father mentioned, an estate tax or an income tax, that is really, is, some people refer to it as a form of philanthropy, right? You're mm -hmm. giving that back to the community. It's just that it's an involuntary type of philanthropy. Yeah. The taxes are being taken from, from your earnings or from your asset base. And then the people in Washington, the lawmakers are deciding how that is divvied up or how that is is uh, spread amongst the community. Philanthropy comes in as a way to deliver a little bit more control over how those assets are are given back to the community. So it's it, a lot of the conversation, if, it, if the family is motivated tax-wise by philanthropy, now you're giving them a little bit more control over how those assets are, are divvied up. Yeah, because you know, we get to the tax situation where let's assume he has a $5 million tax exposure. I said, your decision in your current planning, you've now going to deliver to Washington $5 million of your assets, and they're mm. going to build a smart bomb. It's going to go in about two seconds. Yeah. To Michael's point is that you want to direct it. You want to be able to take that $5 million and put it where it's 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 best, best suited to take care of, again, of a charity of your choice or something in your community or or, or whatever. It's it's really that direction. So it's an interesting conversation going back and forth mm -hmm. with our families because none of them want to pay the tax and, and they understand that they have a, another method. But most people who come across have already made that decision because they have no charitable planning at this point. So they elect to give that tax dollar to, to the government. Mm -hmm. So we kind of start directing. Yeah. Now, now I will say for the families where philanthropy is most successful, you look at that generationally, there really is a, a desire beyond simply the tax benefits to benefit the community. I think it, where, where the families are only motivated by the tax avoidance, if you will, or mm -hmm. the tax um, um, shifting, th th those philanthropic plans long-term tend not to work as well as when you have it firmly embedded in the family's culture and values where philanthropy is a really important part. That's really where you get the greatest bang for your buck long-term. And when you look at some of the families uh, generationally, we've talked a lot on this podcast around the second, third generation, future generations, and how do you prepare your heirs to inherit the wealth that you may have may have um, accumulated over the years? Mm -hmm. And philanthropy can be a really, really important way to give them a purpose around this wealth because values and giving back to the community is something that many families, if you look at the studies, families believe that that is a really key component for that wealth propagation generationally. If you don't have that philanthropic desire, sometimes there's exposures that are developed long-term. Yeah. yeah one, one of the, one, one of my associates I worked with years ago actually has written a book to teach children how to give away nice. money to charity. Nice. It's a, it's, it's, she, she was so involved with the younger generation, she wrote a, a, a very simple book to teach kids age five to understand community, understand giving away is a feel good uh, part of their life, and they should they should continue to do that. So they start them at a young age. So there's a lot of different ways you could approach this to be very successful for that generational connection. And many families that we've talked to, as as we've said again on, on prior podcasts, they're very concerned with how the family wealth is going to be are going to affect future generations. And you even see studies where uh, wealth inheritors, really, they they struggle with this this financial capital almost in a way defining who they are as a person. And that can mm -hmm. sometimes have some nefarious ramifications or some bad ramifications long term, because if if future wealth inheritors only view that that inheritance as being their only identity, 
that's maybe not necessarily the greatest greatest thing long term. And so philanthropy, again, can be a way for giving those those future generations the ability to separate themselves from the wealth, give them a purpose where, okay, I have everything, as my dad said, I'm now taken care of. Let's now give that back to the or some of this back to the community and then be able to, again, develop that healthy identity uh, with their wealth long term. Yeah, we've had some families, I think I mentioned in, in a previous podcast, the family I work with out of Chicago that use a family foundation as as a he referred to as a power base for his children because he wanted to stay in the community. And he created this foundation where the kids manage the assets in the foundation. And under the under the rules, you have to give at least five percent of the, the uh, value of the of the of the foundation away each and every year. Mm-hmm. So they rotated whose responsibility it was to manage the the portfolios to do the administrative work and make sure the distributions were made on an annual basis to the charities. And, and it was a way that he kept his kids together as a focus because they had, they had something to pay, to, to pay attention to as a family over the course of their lives. And they used to go to the islands every year on the foundation because you're allowed under the law to charge fees to the foundation for, for meetings. So they would go to the Cayman Islands or, or an island someplace and then have this this fil- uh, this philanthropic conversation and meeting about the foundation and who, who they give the money away to that year. So it's a very, very exciting piece, as Michael said earlier, is planning. Every family is different, uh, but most certainly the end result is taking care of the people who need it the most. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. When you get to charitable planning, I'm, I'm going to jump into a, into a design concept for a second. Mm-hmm. When you look at when people think about giving something away, if they're a little insecure about that, because they might need that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there are people say, well, I want to give $10,000 to the to the local charities. Um, but you know what? Maybe I'll give them five this year because I, I, have, I have a tough year in business. I, I, I can't afford maybe give all 10. Um, but you're giving it away. But that means you can't take it back if you give it directly. But certain charitable trusts, you can put it in the trust and you could live off the income from that trust and then give it away at your passing. So, so it really depends on, on what you're trying to do as, a, as, a, as a, a someone who looks at philanthropic giving as a piece of their life. There's four or five different ways to skin the cat. Our job with our families is to make sure they're educated on all their options based on their goals and objectives. And we spend hours talking about these strategies and ultimately they end up getting to a, a place that they're comfortable. Yeah, I think you bring up a, a really good point, Dad, and, and we will probably get into more of the specific charitable vehicles like a charitable trust that you can incorporate. But I think it's also important for families to think about if they're going to incorporate a philanthropic objective in their family planning to, to whether you want that to be while you're living or while after you pass away, because there's there's both components there. We've had uh, quite a few families that have said, you know, it's great to incorporate, let's say, a maybe I'll leave a, an asset that I own to charity upon my passing. Certainly very easy to do that in your estate documents, but I'm not really seeing any of the benefit of that because I'm no longer here. I've passed away. So uh, really a lot of the conversations and, and the design is really almost balancing that between between I want to be able to give it away while I'm while I'm alive, be able to see the fruits of that donation today and also incorporate uh, maybe more of a, a testamentary type of design long term. Yeah, I got to share a funny story with you. We have a wonderful client in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's a neurosurgeon. He's a great he's a great guy. Great family. We worked with them for years. 
And when we started to collect all their data early on in our process, uh, I went out to uh, to meet with the advisors with the family and I was in their living room and and the wife said to me, have you seen Chris's wine cellar? And I said, no. He says, downstairs, let's, because I know you like wine. So he has a great wine cellar. Let's go take a look at it. As I'm going through the basement, I noticed on the left-hand side of the room, there's this 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 glass case of all the surgical equipment. Hmm. And I'm going, okay, Gina, what's that? He says, oh, that's my husband's collection. He has the old, the largest collection of surgical equipment. He has Napoleon's surgical equipment in that box over there. Wow. And I, I said, wow. I said, here's what I said. And when are you going to tell me about that? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and she goes, oops. I said, no, there's no oops in our world. You got to tell me about that because yeah. because we got to do something with that. What's the value? He says, well, we don't know because it's a very unique collection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to make a long story short, Michael got involved in the conversation at that point. We're going to give it to the University of Oklahoma because that's where he got his medical degree from. And he's going to donate it to there as, as, as part of their museum. Because if he died... Who cares about the equipment? His kids are going to go, well, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. So yeah. now we have a use for it where it's going to help the community because it's a beautiful collection. Well, if you like surgical equipment, it is. But but that was one of those oops, like, what, what do you want to do with this? It's a, So it, there's interesting stories. We, we find people have these wonderful artifacts they can give or donate somewhere, and they don't know they're valuable other than to themselves. But exactly. they're valuable to other people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Collections are are yeah. funny things when you talk about assets. Uh, if we go through yeah. our process in collecting what the asset list is of a family, sometimes collections, whether it, in this case surgical equipment or sometimes it's you know artwork or cars or I mean you name it, that those are prime assets for a philanthropic type of strategy. Assuming that their the family has no other um, goal for that asset, mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty fun. Yeah, so when you look at this this side of the fence, um, the conversation becomes very, very uh, dramatic over time in this discussion. We're working with a, a gentleman now where he was in the process of giving part of his company away to a charitable cause because he had no beneficiaries to his to his organization because um, his kids weren't going to be in the business. So through our planning process, we did decide, we decided to sell the company to an employee stock ownership plan, which is referred to as an ESOP, which gave him more money that he can give away. So we took a, an idea that he was given a certain percentage of his business away every year. We created a larger flow of revenues to him because he sold his business under the ESOP arrangement with no tax. Mm. So now he's going to give more away through his will documents and his trust documents to charities. So there's a lot of ways we can look at this, but that, that was a case where we giving more away. He feels good about it. His family feels good about it. And and he got major benefit from that transaction. That's going to be a teaser for our next podcast. Yeah. We're going to have a guest on ESOPs. Oh, all right. One, so. <laughs> great, great tax strategy as well as in this case, it was a more money I could give away because this gentleman's very, very charitable, very, very much into giving his wealth away. And we just created more wealth from to do that, which is, which is really good planning technique. Dad, talk about some of the... Uh, the challenges in maybe orchestrating a generate intergenerational philanthropic plan. Some of the what are some of the things you've seen in your career? I I can certainly t- t- touch on what I've seen, but what are the what are the stumbling blocks when you start looking at in- incorporating philanthropic plans long term for families that that families should be aware of? 
Yeah, it, it starts with that. Do I have enough? Do my kids have enough? And if, if that's the case, then how much can I give away? There's never an exact amount they want to give away. It's just what can I do and what options do I have? So we just start that discovery and we come up with a dollar amount or a strategy that makes sense to them. The other piece is when you have the generationals, generations connected, they think differently. As we all know, mm-hmm. my kids think differently. Although Michael's smiling, he thinks differently than I do. And I was my setting them up for this. And my grandparents <laughs> think differently than, than I did. So when you get this generational piece, the philanthropic discussion has a life of its own where grandma and grandpa want to do certain things with their money and, and their kids want to do certain things and the grandkids want to do certain things. I think we talked about this in one of the other podcasts mm-hmm. where the challenge is how do you get the families to agree together on where this money goes? So when grandma, grandpa, and we're going to knock them off for a second, when they pass, they're going to leave a legacy. And one of the questions we ask is, how do you want to be remembered? Mm -hmm. That's a very, very deep question. So we start with, how do you want to be remembered? They have a goal. They want to be remembered a certain way. And they don't want to get lost in the shuffle. And you have that generationally. So that link between these generations become a very unique challenge. It's not negative. It's really good. But when you come to a good place, everybody seems to be on the same page. It makes it starts to make a lot of sense to everybody. But the flexibility in these designs on are, you know, I want to allow my grandkids to create a charitable desire in their part because they have a different agenda in life. Their, their, their generation thinks differently than my generation did. So it's really that that type of a, a conversation. Uh, and it goes all over the map. But it's real exciting when you really lay all these options out to these families that, that they can give a lot away, uh, more than they thought they could give away and not, and not lose, uh, or their, their comfort zone that they're giving too much away because they have enough, but you need to do a calculation. Someone needs to project out what that means to them. That's really what makes us kind of unique in our practices. We do these, these generational projections that the client sees on a very conservative basis that he's going to be able to live to age hundred. And, and as long as as long as that, and we we pick age 100 because we think a lot of a lot of generational um, these uh, millennials today, these wonderful generation, they're gonna live to age over 100. Just think about the medical break you know, breakthroughs there are, and all the advances that in the next 50, 60 years, mm-hmm. it's gonna be unbelievable. So we think longevity now is a is a factor that has to be discussed. What does this all mean to these families? Is people don't talk about that, but that's huge in our planning process. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, you touched on sort of the generational push and pull sometimes that comes up yeah. with these with these philanthropic discussions because yeah, you, see, you do have uh, G one as an example. They have they grew up in a certain time period. They have certain interests and and uh, goals from a philanthropic standpoint that their children or grandchildren may not have. And so there's, those are the really interesting conversations that we have when we start doing family meetings and the topic of whether it's the family foundation or donor advised fund and how those, those funds maybe should be distributed for that given year. Those are interesting conversations to have and, and, you know, but good ones because it's really, again, you're, you're fostering that intergenerational communication that that is so important that we've touched on quite a bit on, on prior episodes but th- that passing of the torch in terms of how the family philanthropy or philanthropic assets are going to be used is, is a real interesting one, but one that, that, that needs to happen. There's, there's, you know, I think some of the struggles where you have one generation that uh, exerts a little too much control over where those are, how those assets are distributed. And that is good and bad, but, but 
sometimes those are the really interesting conversations we had. We think we had um, our, our local client who formed a foundation probably around seven years ago. That was a really interesting story where the matriarch of the family who is uh, a widow and we started discussing a lot of philanthropic planning with her and she was she became very excited. We mostly because she had wanted to do this with her late husband prior to him passing away. Mm-hmm. And when we finally put this charitable trust in place, it, it was great because she, she was she was crying in happiness because she said, you know, I, I we've wanted to do this for so long and we just never did it. And and Copper Beach, you, you guys were the, the catalyst for That's that, awesome. which is which is a great story for us. It makes us feel feel great that we were able to help her with that. But now fast forward to last year when we had a meeting with them and the family foundation uh, became a topic of discussion. And they 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 are now finally starting to bring in the grandchildren into this discussion and sort of very interesting on on how much authority they were given over those decisions or fascinating discussion uh, how you know whether their whether their interests should be you know hold equal weight to the matriarch of the family so they're going through the thick of it right now in that generational transition of of that family foundation but it's it's uh it's really fun conversations from our standpoint not the easiest to have but really keeps us on our toes. So let me, let me ask you a question because that, that brings up a great point. And I don't know the, all the ins and outs and you guys are the experts. I can imagine it would be very difficult because sometimes you have from grandparents to kids and, and then even the grandkids, you may have a change in, in their religious beliefs, right? Sure. That, that could be oh, a yeah. thing. Absolutely. Or what about, yeah. and I don't know how it works with philanthropic planning or, or how this counts, but what about political giving, giving to political parties? Is that, is that, Tax deductible? Is that something we don't that do politics? <laughs> yeah. so, so that's the question, right? I mean, it's, if yeah. if uh, grandpa is is hardcore red and granddaughter is hardcore blue, they love each other very much, but she's thinking I'd really like to give to a party of some kind. <laughs> you know, how does yeah. that go? Well, fortunately, that has not occurred with us. Thank God. Yeah, that would be an interesting. That's a good question. That <laughs> has not. Um, that has not come up as much. Yeah. The, 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 the if you have questions side. about that, call Copper Beach immediately. Yeah. <laughs> no, Eric, that's not. That's the wrong. That's the wrong. Guy. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, and I don't know the answer to why that hasn't happened. Whether that's because they they know it's a an issue, maybe that they shouldn't bring up mm-hmm. uh, the family, um, or maybe they choose to do that on their own. I mean, what's interesting about some of the families we work with is they may have a a, a family foundation that incorporates a lot of different family branches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that foundation is really where we have a lot of the family meetings where, because collectively the family needs to make a decision on how those assets are distributed. But obviously each individual branch may have their own philanthropic plans that maybe that's where they do that type of difference in giving, right? If yeah. they maybe as a political difference. So there's, there's uh, a lot of different ways that you could skin the cat on that. Fortunately, we haven't had to really mediate, uh, that level of, of discourse and in today's environment that could be, um, uh, Oh, yeah. Treading in dangerous waters, for sure. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I wanted to bring up before I lost my thought with it, and it's it's, it's continuation of answering, answering Michael's question, is some of the downsides we see with, with charitable giving is the charity itself. Uh, you read in the press all the time mm-hmm. that these charities get all this money and it pays for all the top executives and very little gets to the cause. So so there's a, there's a question that come up with our families that – you know, is this a good charity to give to? And is is our is money going to go to the right right spot for this right cause? So so we've often had uh, children of these families work together and do research on these charities to make sure 
this charity is functioning the way it should be functioning. And it's not a filter of paying high salaries to, to executives that run these particular um, charities. So that comes up often on, is this charity really doing what they're supposed to be doing? And there's so many of them out there, uh, research has to be done. So, so one of the projects we give these families, make sure you give it to the right bucket for the right reason uh, and not not wasting that money to to, to salaries, et cetera. Yeah, and you, and you th- that's a great point as well, Dad. And you think about, again, the intergenerational skills transfer that that families struggle with. Again, how do I how do I train my young child who who maybe doesn't have the skills necessary to manage this wealth? When it comes to philanthropy, that's a that's a great way to to help kind of push them in that direction because they're doing that due diligence on a charity. They're looking at you know, the charity's balance sheet and the history of giving and all of those nuances that go into that, that's a great skill to to impart on future generations. And and really, they get excited about that. It, I, I think we've had good good success with the future generations. They, they like doing that work. So, you know, that may surprise some people, but we've had good experiences with that. They get excited about that project and figuring out the best way to give and and the best charity and the best vehicle to do that through. Yeah, um, families that are new to charitable planning, they uh, one of the questions comes up, and it's it's, it's back to the tax discussion. Is they say, well, th- this is too good to be true. I'm getting this tax benefit. Is the government okay with this? Well, charitable planning has been around for sixty plus years, and and my conversation back to the families is, well, if you don't give the charities, then they live off the government. So the government's very supportive of charitable giving. That's why they give you these massive tax benefits because they 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 want you to help. Uh, where they don't have to. So that mm-hmm. it's it's really a, a very old structure. Uh, again, people new to charitable giving aren't aware that these these tax laws have been in place for a very long time. Yeah, let's t- let's touch on before, as I know, we may be running out of a time a little bit here, but I, I, I maybe we should touch on some of the vehicles real quick at a high level that that we can go through or that families can um, utilize to facilitate their charitable giving. Um, one the, the easiest way is is an outright gift, right? And I think everybody understands that. You can write a check to any organization. You could either take charitable tax deduction for that. It's very simple. It's very easy. The the other sort of vehicle that goes along part of that is called the donor advised fund. We brought that up, I think, mm-hmm. briefly a little earlier. And a donor advised fund is a way for a family to write a check to this to this fund, and it's called donor advised, meaning the donor is advising the trustee basically of that fund on how those funds should be distributed. So the the donor does not have full and ultimate control over where those funds go to, but by and large, the fund managers or the trustees will, will abide by the donor's wishes so long as it is a public charity and qualifies for, for the a charitable deduction um, in most cases. So that's a way for families to build up in a way, let's say like a war chest, you can, you make a large contribution and instead of writing a check right to a particular institution, you could write it to that fund. And then over a period of years, you can decide, or the family can decide what, what charities uh, th- th- those funds go to. So again, that's a great vehicle to use for, um, bringing families together. Mm-hmm. Again, having maybe one family member make the decision one year another family member the following year. And they're very easy to set up and administer. Um, so a lot of those are becoming very popular uh, in the philanthropic world. Um, the other one is a, is a foundation that maybe you talk about foundations. You have some, a lot of experience, I think, with that. 
um, in your career as well. Yeah, that's more of a private structure where the the family wants to have their name on the plaque, as they say, where the the Paris Foundation, family foundation, and that foundation is just for that particular family, and the family makes the decision on how that money gets distributed. It's a little different structure under the tax code, but it's still a it's still a very good philanthropic approach. It's a little bit more complex. It's a little bit more expensive, but some families want that. They want that. I want it in my name. I want this. I want my name to be remembered. I want to be on the side of a building someplace, or I want to, I want to have a, a building with my name on it. And there are families that like that, and it's a very viable way to do it. Yeah, and the, the, again, I think both foundations and donor-advised funds sort of go hand-in-hand hand to a degree. Um, again, the, the foundation route is gives the family a lot more control over where those assets are. Uh, ultimately go to because again in the donor advice fund the family's not really making that ultimate decision the trustees of the plan or the or the fund are making that decision so it gives the family more control but there's more administrative hurdles and and things that you have to go through so uh, oftentimes there's let's say like a threshold before you before you get to that level where a foundation makes most sense um the the other vehicles that we touched on are what we call charitable split interest trusts and what that means is, is this is a way, again, as my father alluded to earlier, where a way that a family can incorporate philanthropic planning, but retain some benefit of those assets somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. So there's really two principal trusts that are utilized. One is called a charitable remainder trust, and the other is called a charitable lead trust. And the only difference between those two is sort of where or how the charity receives those those funds. So a family can make an charitable remainder trust as an example. They can make a family can make a contribution to that trust and receive a payment stream or an annuity stream from that trust for a period of years or for the lifetime of the the donor or the grantor of that trust. Okay. So that's again a way for the family to continue to benefit from those assets. Now at the end of that period of time, whatever's remaining in that trust fund then goes to a charity of the family's choice or a family foundation or a donor advised fund. Mm-hmm. But the charity at that point gets gets those funds. The charitable lead trust is reversed. So the family can make a contribution into the trust. And then over a period of years, the charity gets those assets. So again, thinking about when a family, if a family wants to see how their how their wealth is benefiting charity while they're alive, charitable lead trust may make more sense because over a period of time, they're going to control where those those funds go to. And then at the end of that period of time, the family gets those funds back, whatever is remaining. So a lot of, a lot of creative ways where you can manage the family's uh, philanthropic giving to meet their goals and objectives. Nice. Guys, this has been fantastic. And you covered a ton of information. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that if anybody that's listening to this, and you guys work nationwide, so anybody listening to this in any state in, in the union here, if they are interested in learning more about the strategies you spoke about today, and even if you're if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking, man, I'd really like to kind of start researching some of those charities to see if I'm actually giving my money to a charity that's that's doing good work and and uh, the money's going where it's supposed to be going. I know you guys have a ton of resources for that as well. Can people reach out to you and and get some more information on those? Absolutely, it's uh, th- th- be more than happy to to talk with anyone if they have questions or concerns um, about their existing philanthropic planning, or if they're interested in starting it, I can tell you it's it's really a, one of the most rewarding things we do as planners. But for the families themselves, it, it's a really, really, really fun and, and beneficial and rewarding experience. Great. How do they reach you? 
they can go to uh, our website, which is www.cbfgllc.com, or you can call our office. Uh, our phone number is area code 856-988-8300. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for your time today. All right. Thanks, thanks Eric. All Always right. a pleasure. Yeah. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family or coworkers. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Incorporated a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.